We are continuing our sermon series that also ties into what we are talking about in those four themes. And this morning we are looking at that passage of Scripture that I shared with you a while ago, which is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. And we are talking this morning about tithing. But I'm beginning with a little story about a Rubik's Cube. Do any of you ever have a Rubik's Cube? Now, I'm old enough that I actually remember when the Rubik's Cube was invented. And it's funny because I asked for a Rubik's Cube for this morning. And my, have they advanced the Rubik's Cube that was brought to me has little emojis all over it. Mine was not so creative when I got it on Christmas when I believe I was in middle school. And the guy who invented the Rubik's Cube, interestingly, lived in um, one of the countries within the Soviet Union. And I believe the taxation on the income you earned in that country was above 95%. He still became the wealthiest person in that country and earned personally close to a billion dollars. That tells you how well the Rubik's Cube sold. It just became a world phenomenon. Well, when I got my Rubik's Cube... As a kid, I didn't want to mess it up, so I just left it alone because I saw all my friends mess it up until one day I was watching the Today Show. It must have been a, a day after Christmas, and we were, I was home, and a little girl was on TV, and she showed how to solve the Rubik's Cube. So she took a Rubik's Cube and messed it up and put it back, and that was impressive. And then somebody else took one and gave it to her, and she was able to solve it again. And then they talked to her, and she explained how to solve the Rubik's Cube, so I figured I could do it. I listened to her carefully. I finally turned my Rubik's Cube, did exactly what she said, and guess what happened? I never got it back again. I finally did when somebody showed me you can actually peel the little things off and put them on, but that was not solving the Rubik's Cube. I say that because as a kid, I learned that a Rubik's Cube is a step above my pay grade, but life is also like a Rubik's Cube. We face things in our world, we face things in our life, and we go, how in the world am I ever going to do this? But we take our will back, we figure that we can do it on our own, we make our own decisions, we do it all ourselves, we watch somebody else, we even see somebody give 10% to the church, and we go, wow, their life is good, so if I give 10% to the church and I do it exactly like them, my life is going to get and it doesn't, because we're doing it all on our own will, in our own way. So this morning, as we talk about life being like a Rubik's Cube and learning what it means to tithe, we're going to look at the book of Proverbs in this passage I spoke about earlier. Because what we find in the Scripture is the reason we can't solve our life ourselves is because we were not designed to solve life ourselves. We were not created to live independently and think that the six inches between our ears is smarter than the six inches between everybody else's ears. The truth is it's the weakest muscle in all of our bodies. And if we take our will back, we try to do it on our own, we will mess it up every single time. Therefore, it's important to learn the first thing, which is to trust God first. Not last, first. I know a lot of people who get in messes and then they trust God. That's not what the text is going to teach us. It tells us to Trust God first. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Trust. Trust is the Old Testament Hebrew word bata, 
which means to be confident. It's the same word that was used for the Israelites when they went into the promised land and they bata trusted God as they crossed the Jordan River. And where does the proverb tell us to trust God? In our heart. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Heart is another way of saying self. Trust the Lord yourself. Remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Sarah is 90 years old, and Abraham is told, guess what, Abraham, you're finally going to have a child. He goes, oh, who are we going to adopt, or what foster family is handing a child over to us? And God says, oh, no, your wife is going to get pregnant. And so the Bible says that Abraham laughs in his heart. He himself just laughed. This makes no sense. And then the text says, trust the Lord yourself and don't lean, which is the word sheen, Hebrew word sheen, which means support. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust is what I myself have confidence in much so that I use it to support me. Trust myself in something so much that I can lean on it to support me. That's what the text is telling us. This spring, I was out running. As you know, I love to run, and I turned 60, so I was convinced that this was going to be a great year of running for a pastor stand, because you know what happens when you turn 60? You go into a new age group, and everybody's now older than you, whereas you've been the oldest one because you're 59, and they take all the guys 50 to 59, and you compete against them. Now I'm 60, and I get to compete against all the guys who are 60 to 69. So it's Labor Day, and I'm sorry, it's Memorial Day, and I'm out running, and I'm really pushing it at the end of my run, thinking, wow, I am just going to have an awesome summer. And I hit a rock, twist my ankle, fall down on the ground, hit my arm like this, crack a rib, and just lay in the middle of the road over at Morton Park. Fortunately, there were a couple of police officers who were sitting in a little cart that they have over at Morton Park, and they came over and they said to me, can I help you? Now, I'm just laying in the ground, and I look up and I go, no, I'm fine. <laughs> they go, well, would you like us to help you move? No, I'm okay. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good right here. And the one officer says, um... I think we need to get you out of the middle of the road. I think you're going to get hurt. So I get up, and I lean against this officer who very nicely takes me over, and he gets me to sit down for a while, put some ice on my ribs, on my ankle, until I hobble with him back to my car. See, I leaned on him. I knew I could trust him. I knew he could move me. But I was just laying there in the middle of the road. That's kind of what we find ourselves in in our life. Who do you know you can lean on and trust? Certainly there may be people, but the scripture tells us to take it to God first. Trust God first. Why? Because the scripture is very clear. I don't know everything. Remember my Rubik's Cube? I never did figure out how to do this crazy little thing. And if you think you can explain it to me, go find another pastor, because I guarantee I still won't know it. My eyes will glass over. The text says, trust God because I can't know everything. And in verse 7, it says it this way, do not be wise in your own eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. 
we know wisdom isn't knowledge, and we know that some smart people aren't wise. So this isn't saying be smarter than everybody else. Don't think that you can't academically achieve. It says just remember your wisdom needs to come not from yourself, but from somewhere else. And our eyes are as far as we can see. Everything we can see. Don't think that in my own vision, in my own to see things that I can be somehow wise and figure out stuff that nobody else can figure out because I can't do it. Because again, when we live our lives that way and we start thinking we're wise in our own thinking, again, we make messes of things. So our text tells us to trust God because I can't know everything. Makes me think of a story that I heard when I was in middle school. We had a teacher, Mrs. Anderson. She was the Lutheran pastor's wife in the little town that I lived in, and she was also my middle school English teacher. And one day she told us a story about a king who thought he was smarter than everybody else, and he was always trying to do things to show that. And one day a guy came to him and he said, Guess what? I discovered I have x ray eyes. The king said, What do you mean? He said, Oh, just take a box. And so the king took a box and he said, Put something in the box. And so the king went to the other room and hid something in the box, and he came back, and the guy looked at it and goes, you put your watch in the box. And he goes, yes, I did. And he kept doing this over and over. This guy in his kingdom just kept showing him. He had x-ray eyes. And the king thought, wow, I am a brilliant king, and I have an amazing guy here, and I can do something really great in my kingdom. I am going to put out a decree that anybody in the kingdom who can come into the castle... And on the grounds of of where I live here, and steal anything from me, I will give them a million dollars. The only thing is, they have to get by my new guard, because he made the guy a guard, and he goes, they have to get by this guy. So everybody came into the castle, and they all tried, and they had one week to steal anything they could from the king. And people would walk out, and the guy would look at them and say, nope. You've got a teacup hid under your jacket, or somebody else would come, and they'd say, yep, sorry, that is a cushion off of the king's couch that's stuffed under your coat. But every single day, a little boy came also. And every day, the little boy walked around the castle and then walked around the grounds, and when it was time to leave, he took a wagon filled with leaves and always had something stuffed in the leaves. First day, the guy looked at his x-ray eyes. He looked in, and he said, hmm... Nope, that is part of the king's coffee service. Pulled out the coffee pot. Next day, he looked in the wagon as the little boy was walking by, looked right through the leaves. The wagon was all full of leaves, and he said, Nope, I'm sorry. That is the alarm clock that came from the king's bedroom. Every single day, little kid comes, leaves with a wagon full of leaves with something stuffed in it, and every single day, the guard pulls it out. The week's over. Little boy comes to the king and he says, I want my million dollars. The king said, oh, no, 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 you don't get a million dollars. The only thing you stole from me was leaves. I said, you, you actually did me a favor taking those leaves. And the little boy said, oh, no, not at all. Check around your castle. You don't have any wagons left. <laughs> the king thought he could know everything, didn't he? Don't we do the same thing? The Bible tells us, trust in God because I can't know any, everything, and this includes my money. The scripture tells us in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The word honor literally means heavy. Heavy the Lord with your wealth? 
That's because, again, in the ancient world, they would weigh things, and if something was heavy, if you had heavy gold and light gold, the heavy gold was worth more. If you had a heavy crop, it was worth more than a light crop. So it's basically saying, give and put God first. Look at your budget. It's a mission statement. Look at our church budget. It's a mission statement. Where we put the weight of things is what we trust in, what matters to us. And so the scripture tells us to honor God. Honor God in everything. This includes our money. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's what Gail was talking about earlier. Why do we do that? Why do we trust God, realizing I can't know everything, and this includes our money that we honor God with? Because he owns everything anyhow. That's how we're invited to live our life. To realize that he owns everything, I don't own everything. I just get to be a steward of the things in my life. I am privileged to be a grandfather. Did I mention that to any of you yet? I've got pictures if you'd like to see her. I get to be the good steward of that baby when I get to hold her. But I don't own her, nor do David and Laura. I get to hold in trust my children and make phone calls to my son Todd and his new wife Hope. Have I mentioned that I got another daughter-in-law this year? See, those are good things in our life, but we don't own them. We don't own our homes. We don't own our cars. I don't care what the government tells you. And when they say that you've paid off your house and you get to rip up the, the, the mortgage, it still doesn't belong to you. You are a steward of it for a time because you and I will not live forever and ever on this earth, and that house will be here after we're gone. Those things belong to God. Everything belongs to God. People belongs to God. He owns everything. I remember when I first came here to New England, coming as a kid from North Dakota, and I was a new pastor, and I had Bishop Bayshore, that we had a big day that we all got to go meet with the bishop. And he said, do any of you have any questions? And I raised my hand, and I asked him a question that I still ask. I said, how do I explain prayer to people who so often here in New England think that they own and possess things or in control of things? I said, growing up in North Dakota... We knew that God owned everything. That's why we came to church and prayed for the rain, or prayed for no hail, or prayed for the rain to stop, or prayed for good crops. You see, there was a natural honoring of God and understanding that God owned everything. Every farmer knows that they cannot make the rainfall. Every farmer knows that farmers can't stop the floodwaters from washing over the plains. There's an acknowledgement that God owns everything. And that's what we all need to have, is this understanding that we can trust God because I can't know everything. This includes my money. But I can acknowledge as I trust God that he owns absolutely everything. That's why I put my faith and trust in him. Because God is wise and cares about us and he intends good towards every single one of us. And when we learn to live a different way, to learn a life of faith and honor God as opposed to honor ourselves, it's amazing the work that God can do in our lives. And then the text ends with this. It says, expect God's way to work. Do you expect God's way to work in your life? That's a serious question. Do you expect God's way to work in your life? The Bible tells us it will. 
God will shower blessings upon us. God will honor us when we honor him. Verse 10, then your barns, he says, will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. A barn we know, but we forget what a vat is. A vat was a press in which they took the grapes and they would put the grapes in the vat and they would walk around and they would mash the grapes. And he said, you'll have so many grapes that you won't even be able to contain them in the vats that you own. John Wesley said that God's way is to earn all you can, to save all you can, to give all you can, to learn to live a different way, to honor God with everything, rather than thinking that we can possess it all. Rather than thinking that we need to be in control, it's learning to turn everything over to God and trust Him with those areas in our lives. Though as we talk about tithing this morning, it's not talking about giving money, it's talking really about trusting God. And who's first in your life? Who are you honoring first? Who are you trusting? A number of years ago, this is my optional story. I wasn't sure if I would tell it or not, so I have it in pencil. A number of years ago, our son Todd was a senior in high school. And somebody showed us something. It was a friend who came over, and the wife was at her house, and I was waiting for her husband. And I said, I'm just not sure where he is. And she pulled out her cell phone. She goes, oh, I'll tell you exactly where he is. And she showed us that she could track her husband, that they had a little app on their phone called Find a Friend. And she said, oh, he'll be here in about seven minutes. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I told David he called it a stalker app. He said, oh, that's awful. But we talked to our son, Todd, and we said to Todd, Todd, do you mind if we put that on your phone? Because I said, it'll be helpful. Like when you go to a cross-country meet, sometimes the bus gets back late. We don't know what time you're going to be there. Todd was fine. Sure, we'll put it on. So occasionally we would follow and we'd find out back at the time the Sagamore Bridge was doing some work and there were times when he'd get home an hour and a half late, just sitting on a bridge and There we would know he was, and we didn't have to call him. Now he's a senior in high school, and he said to us, he said, a friend of mine asked me if I want to go to a concert, and I guess that the other person's um, ticket fell through, and we said, sure, where's the concert? And he said, in Providence. So on a Friday night, Todd takes off for Providence, and Dad does what he shouldn't do. He says, oh, I'll just see where Todd is. And the first thing I discover is Todd's not in Providence. He's in the middle of Pawtucket. He's not just in the middle of Pawtucket, he's over in an area of Pawtucket that I remember Movon getting famously arrested at, and I start having, and I get all my anxiety, and I go, just don't think about it, just set it aside. He's a big boy, he's almost 18 years old. And later I knew where the concert was, and I told him where to park, and eventually I felt better because he was near there, and then I discovered he went quite a ways away from there. But then eventually later he ended up at the concert, and so now my Mind is relaxing a little bit better. Concert's over, and I expect him to come home, and I open it up, and he's at a hotel. (laughs) What is my son doing at a hotel? Like, this is my son senior in high school. And now I'm getting all anxious and upset, and I wait, and he gets home really late. And he walks in, and I said, 
hi, Todd, how was your evening? He goes, oh my goodness, that was the worst evening I've ever had. I go, why is that? He goes, well, first of all, we're driving down on the road. And he goes, I listened to my friend and I should have gone the way that you told me to go, but we decided to go through Rhode Island and there was an accident. And we got detoured right through the worst, sketchiest part of town. Man, I just can't even imagine why we were there. And we go to that parking garage that you told us to park at and the garage is full and we had to go to another parking garage and stuff got so messed up we didn't have time to eat concert was awesome but afterwards my friend says hey i know a hotel that's got a great restaurant why don't we go grab something to eat todd so the food was good and it's good to be home i'm like wow is that different than i had your evening sketched in my mind i know my son wasn't lying to me because over the years i've asked him about it and he goes you really thought all that about me wow i wish i lived such a wild life dad You see what we do? We take our will back. We think we know better. We think we're smarter. Why, we have an app on our phone that can tell us everything. And we make a mess of our lives, or we go blurting something out to somebody else, and we make a mess out of our relationships. So today is about learning to tithe. Now let's take the letters, the first letter of everything we said. It spells out tithe. Trust God first. I can't know everything. This includes money. He owns everything. Expect God's way to work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you that we cannot know everything and we cannot be in control of everything, but you are. Help us to trust in you and help us to put you first. Because when we do it ourselves, we make a mess out of things. When we think that we know better, we don't. But we know that when we trust in you, that you are sovereign and you are good and you are God. Help us live a different way, the way that the Bible teaches us to live. And help us to expect your blessings in our life because they are far beyond anything that we could ever have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.